There are things that we experience but never talk about. A shadow moving in a corner, flickering of the lights, a disembodied voice. We invite you to talk with us, share your story, share your evidence, because this isn't just your story, this is our story. This is Ghostbox Radio. And this is Ghostbox Radio on AM 950, where every week we talk about the paranormal, ufology, Bigfoot, or just the unusual. My name is Greg Bakken, and thank you very much for joining me today. First of all, Merry Christmas to everybody. I hope that you have a great day. I hope that you got what you wanted. And I also hope that you're able to spend time with your family. Speaking from personal experience, the one thing that I find more and more as every year gets further and further on, that all the people, all the family that you spend Christmas, those people start to kind of disappear, don't they? And uh, I guess all I'm saying is always be grateful for these family get-togethers. Sometimes they seem like a pain in the backside, but honestly, there's going to be time that you may be like, oh, gosh, I could, I would really like to have those moments again. So always be grateful for them, right? Now, if you're listening live, thank you so much for taking your time out of your Christmas day. Otherwise, thank you for streaming this. Really do appreciate it. Now, I've been intrigued by the concept of a Christmas ghost story for a very long time. Now, if by the rare chance you may not know what that is, I guarantee you actually do. In fact, the most popular ghost story of all time is a Christmas ghost story, and that is A Christmas Carol, written by Charles Dickens and released December 19th, 1843. It is when I was writing an article about the 1977 BBC production for A Christmas Carol for my British television website that I ran across Todd. Todd Atterbury has a website, a gothic curiosity cabinet, that I looked at to get some background on the stories for my article. I thought at that moment that this would be a great subject for today's show. Todd is a writer, a photographer, and if you go to his website, you're going to see he is so much more. We're going to talk about all that today. Todd, welcome to Ghostbox Radio. Hi, how are you doing? I'm all right. How are you doing? I want to start off with... Could you tell me a little bit more about your site, uh, gothichorrorstories.com? Because I know that we're going to be focusing on the whole uh, Christmas story, ghost story idea, but there is a whole lot of stuff on your site that's actually pretty cool. Well, uh, it, it used to be like three or four sites. Uh, I started off with photography because... Uh, Oh, I needed to get exercise. I forgot that was one of the things the human body requires. So I started hiking. When I started hiking, I started taking photos. And then I found out the trails I was on had all these legends and myths and ghost stories about mm-hmm. them. So I started writing about those. And uh, from there, it just grew. And I finally figured out wherever you travel, there's always some place nearby that has a more interesting story than the holiday. And, yep. and uh, if you stay in those places, you know, that's... that's that's where all the spooks are in the restaurants and so i just started traveling around to those and writing it up and taking photos Mm -hmm. now and uh and in addition to that uh there was like a the history side of it basically i would go to historical sites and any historical site has a ghost story so those two tied together and then uh it just all kind of grew from there. So what uh, what are the different groups within your site? Because there's also like a, a, a herbal area, the Witch's Garden, right? <laughs> Gardening, yes. Well, uh, you know, I mean, 
you know, there's all these plants that are poisonous. There's witches' plants and things like that. And I figured, you know, if you're going to garden, you might as well have a story about whatever it is you're planting because otherwise it gets kind of dull. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I started writing about about that as well because that also makes all everything you do tax deductible. Mm-hmm. And so that helped out as well. And uh, so yeah, I mean, it just it all snowballs and it all ties together because uh, you know. And the funny thing is, a witch's garden, if you change the name, also works as a Bible garden, because a lot of Christians use the same plants for the same reasons. It's just they have different uh, ideology behind them. And so uh, that's kind of interesting the way all this stuff ties together after a while. It is very interesting. And there's also, uh, you also have a section uh, for uh, music for pagans, right? <laughs> well, it, it's, uh, okay, we have we have two bands, I mean, on on rare occasions we will play in public but uh the first one is with the dread poets where we take uh the poetry from like 16th 17th 18th century and uh set it to music typically in a style of the early 70s heavy metal pink floyd that kind of rock and the other is uh three sheets to the wind which is uh kind of like a trip to the gutters of the folk tradition it's all it's all the folk the folk songs and murder ballads. Uh, I mean, folk music was really just tragic in seventeenth and eighteenth century, and uh, and same kind of music with that. So, and that gives us something to do at night, keeps it out of trouble. Sure. And um, I may have been a member of uh, uh, Three Sheets to the Wind at some point in my my life too. Oh, I, I think we're talking about different <laughs> things, aren't we? <laughs> oh, but no, it's, it's the best band name ever. It I is mean, pretty I was good. Surprised, you know, no one had really actually taken it. Yeah. And over the Christmas, we've been we've been doing Christmas songs for no apparent reason other than it's fun to do Christmas songs, and uh, you know I mean you can't sell them because they're all copyrighted, but man they're fun to do. So yeah, yeah, like I say, it, it gives you something to do aside from sitting around and watching TV. Well, and I like the idea of the concept of a band that never performs in public. It's there's something there's actually something Pythonesque about it, Monty Pythonesque about it. I think. Um, well, part of the problem is it's it's me and my best friend, and you know we're like fifty five, and my kid who plays drums, who's fifteen now, and when we last played, he was fourteen. I think we started when he was thirteen, so it's not like you can really get into the bar scene with that particular lineup. No. <laughs> and the, uh, the the first show we did, we did uh, the live the live portion of Pink Floyd's Umaguma, which even Pink Floyd fans wouldn't really like, and we played it in a small town here in the Bible Belt. And we, we got some really good stairs. It was quite enjoyable. <laughs> but there was one guy out there. I knew there would be one guy who would get it and love it. And sure enough, I got an email from a guy uh, the next week and said, that oh, was the best thing I've ever seen. And uh, so, you know, it's all, it's all worthwhile. Because you're always after that one person. That's who you're writing for yep. or, or performing for is that one person. Absolutely. So anyway, what are we talking about? I think we should talk about uh, ghost, Christmas, Christmas ghost, stories. ghost Stories. What got you interested in that? Well, it was that song. It's the most wonderful time of the year. There's that line in there. There'll be Christmas ghost stories. And I heard that, and I was like, "What? The, whatever that is. And so you know, I did a Google search, and I, I realized, oh, yeah, because I remember when I was a kid seeing some of the uh, BBC Christmas uh, ghost story things. Mm-hmm. And uh, from there, I found out, you know, there's a whole tradition behind it. But yeah, it was actually that one song that, that just set it set it all off, the, huh? And it's such a throwaway line in a way, right. you know. I mean, it just it just yeah, it but, is. But there is there is something very mysterious <clears throat> about that line too. And I, you're right. I mean, it has always kind of uh, always kind of hit me too. I mean, I, and but it's almost like it's subliminal. It's like you're not really 
it, it goes by so quick that you can almost for, you almost not hear it as for the words that are being said. At least that's that's me. Absolutely. Um, and and yeah, because I mean it, it just sneaks in on you, and it and they repeat it twice, but still at the same time it, it doesn't elaborate on it anyway. So it's it's kind of a it's a leading question. And and just of uh, a clarification, uh, the BBC uh, programs that Todd is talking about are there's uh, from about 1965 or something to originally like 1977, 1978, but they started back up in 2005. Mr. James. Uh, a lot of his stories were uh, Christmas ghost stories were uh, turned into uh, BBC specials, and it was an ongoing thing every year from the mid '60s to mid '70s, and then it stopped for a while. And were those because I don't really buy British television from the U.S. I get it from the U.K., so I don't know always what's being released. Were those available over here, or were they just shown like on PBS? It was like a PBS thing until well, probably about the time you got them because I mean, there's a few on YouTube last time I looked. Mm-hmm. But, uh, yeah, I mean, the PBS things, you would catch all kinds of good stuff from the 60s and 70s. Now, the I- stuff you wouldn't find over Oh, here. absolutely. And so the stuff. Monty Python, for instance, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, I mean, I could I can go on for hours about the stuff that, you know, I'm getting over from the UK and stuff that I've never I've never seen over here. Um so real f- going into it and take take your time explaining because this is a very rich history to me the idea of like christmas ghost stories i always think of probably because of charles dickens i think of like you know a victorian sort of setting uh you know late 1800s but that's not that's not it at all uh are you able to uh give us a little bit of background of like the idea of a christmas ghost story and where it came from well no i mean <laughs> yeah, okay, I'll do this. Uh, I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> yeah, actually, you know, the Victorian era was the peak of the whole thing. So, I mean, yeah, that's entirely appropriate. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but really, where it probably started, well, it probably started back when uh, people were first able to talk and sit around the fire because, uh, you know, ghosts have always fascinated people. It's, it's something that, uh, I mean, you can, you know, there's there's instances of the Bible even before that of people talking about ghosts. So they've always been around, and as long as they've been around, it's been an interesting topic. Mm-hmm. So uh, as long as you sat around the fire and you were telling stories, ghost stories were bound to come up. And once kids got involved, because kids, you can scare the crap out of them by telling a good ghost story, and there's nothing more fun than scaring a small child. Mm-hmm. So, you know, kids, you know, parents will automatically do that kind of stuff. And you also give them a few instructions in life and that things to avoid. Uh, One thing I've noticed when I've traveled around is places where there are wells or springs. There are usually some kind of ghost stories or monsters, something around there to keep the kids away from those because those were dangerous places. And uh, eventually, by the time you get to the Elizabethan and Tudor times, they started to get more codified. People started talking about it as a tradition. We're going to take our first break. When we come back, we're going to continue our conversation with author Todd Atterbury about ghost, Christmas ghost stories and traditions. You're listening to Ghost Box Radio on AM 950. Are you dreading Monday, hating life and living for the weekends? It might be time for some life changes. Pamela Topjian is a board-certified hypnotherapist at hypnobreakthrough.com, and she can help. 
Consultations are always free, and you're going to receive a complimentary sample session to try out. Get in touch with HypnoBreakthrough.com or send a message on social media, HypnoBreakthrough or Pamela Marie Topchian, and get in touch with her. She's helped a lot of people, she's helped me, and I think she can help you. So please reach out and see what she can do. And welcome back to Ghost Box Radio on AM 950. My name is Greg Bakken. Thank you for joining us. Our guest today is Todd Atterbury, who is a writer and photographer. And if you go to his website, gothichorrorstories.com, you'll see so much more. Today, we're talking Christmas ghost stories and haunted traditions. Uh, Christopher Marlowe was one of the earlier ones. He included that in one of his plays. And then, of course, William Shakespeare did a play titled Winter Tales, because these were all called Winter Tales yep. back then. Mm-hmm. It's tales to be told around the fire, because, you know, your work was pretty well done when it came time to the winter. I mean, if you were if you were a farmer in England, you know, somewhere out in Britain, Wales, Scotland, by the time winter came around, you were sitting around the fire at night, and uh, there wasn't anything to do but talk. Books weren't available because you know printing presses weren't that advanced at that time. So it was, it, you know, it came down to entertaining each other by what you could tell, and so it was storytelling. Sure. And it, to me, that's always been the interesting thing is the stories people tell because they're not always necessarily factual but they got more truth about them than most facts and they're all word you know they're 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 carried on by word of mouth right over generations well absolutely yeah. well yeah and you know one of my pet theories has always been history isn't told by historians it's told by artists because i mean for instance who said uh the british are coming the british are coming Do you know that yeah one? that's uh what's his face how's that for an answer how's that to make me sound really smart yeah paul yeah. revere uh, no, no, it was actually uh, Longfellow, the poet. Paul Revere right. would. Paul Revere was British, mm-hmm. so for him to say the British is coming would be like saying I'm coming here. Mm-hmm. So no, it would have been if, at most something like the regulars are coming. But Longfellow wrote the poem, which uh, people heard and people believed and people understood, and that becomes the history. And it's the same way with these kind of tales here; they become engraved in the public consciousness. Mm-hmm. Because they spread. A good, a good story is going to spread. If you hear it once, you're going to adapt it to your own location and your own people. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah, in the Tudor times, Elizabethan times, uh, Marlowe, Shakespeare, and a few others started making references to winter tales. And uh, so it, it was definitely a tradition by that point. And then came the Puritans in, what, the 18th, 19th centuries, and they were really down on Christmas, you know, because it was essentially either a Catholic holiday or a pagan holiday, and they didn't really care for either, so they more or less banned the whole process. And that was about the same time we became a country over here in the States, so they, uh, uh, you know, it never caught on here. Mm-hmm. And it, then, uh, you know, so the whole process kind of died out. I mean, you know, people obviously still told the stories. But uh, Christmas as a holiday really didn't exist in the United States in the uh, 19th century. In the mid-19th century, it started picking up, mm-hmm. I guess, early. And uh, I don't know, are we ready to get into that yeah. yet? Or am I talking nope, fast? nope, let's do it. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so, so yeah, then, then we go into, uh, make sure I didn't leave anybody out here. Oh, yeah, the whole concept of death, I mean... You know, that was one reason why it was palatable for these people to sit around a fire and talk about these gruesome subjects, whereas nowadays people are a little more skittish. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, let's say you lived in a cottage in Ireland, and most of the cottages in Ireland were one room. You might have the lean-to in the back for the kitchen area. The kitchen might be attached to it, and you had a central hearth, and people slept upstairs. It was one room. Mm-hmm. 
you lived in that room, but you also died in that room. There was no hospitals. So the whole process of dying was not only in front of like the children, but the grandchildren, whoever lived in there. And once they died, they were laid out inside, you know, the room itself there. So you, you were up close and personal with death all the time. And so these kind of things really didn't, you know, they did, they didn't ring the bells they do now. Uh, you know, there were no funeral homes. There was no commercial side to it. It was a part of life. Mm -hmm. And so people talk more about death and they talk more openly and I mean, let's face it. If you if you watched your mom and dad laying in the in your main ring for three days, you're you're quite likely to be more susceptible to seeing ghosts or at least thinking of ghosts in the future. Sure. So that's one reason why these stories were so popular because you know, you're sitting around in a dark room with a candle or a firelight with that room where all this happened behind you. So yeah, you know, I mean, it, it, it had to be a great atmosphere, which we don't have now. Sure, sure. So, so anyway, you know, go ahead. No, nope, no, nope, go ahead. Oh, I was going to take a drink here. <laughs> I got my key. <laughs> so anyway, okay, Christmas was pretty well dead. It was 19th century. And uh, oddly enough, one of the places where it caught on and stayed caught on was New York City and uh, the region around that uh, because they were Dutch. You know, if you remember, New York was originally New Amsterdam, which was a Dutch colony. Mm-hmm. And re- that's where our freedom of religion came in, because one of the principles enshrined in New Amsterdam was freedom of religion. And so when the British took over, they were coming in basically with a puritanical mindset, which would stamp out all religions. But it's actually in the original charter in New York City to preserve freedom of all religions. And that's where that came from. And then the Dutch kind of swept up a little bit north and they were already there anyway but uh, the sleepy hollow region uh what's it in perry town mm-hmm. and uh the writer of course for all that was washington irving yes. and washington irving spent much of his life young when he was younger in britain and he had encountered a lot of the early british traditions before they were kind of wiped away by the puritans mm-hmm. and so he started writing about that because the idea was that people took on Christmas as more of a uh, traditional role and, and you know, kind of got some emotion into it. it. It could be a day that could bring society together because at that time society was really pretty bleak. Mm-hmm. And uh, so that was his theory. And so he wrote in the sketchbook uh, a couple of essays which contained those. And of course, people think of Washington Irving now. It's a legend of Sleepy Hollow and the Rip Van Winkle. Yep. Well, yeah, which are great stories, and those are associated with Halloween, but he also did a lot of the Christmas stuff as well. Mm-hmm. And he was the first American author to make sales and become popular in other countries, so he's really considered the first international American author. And uh, one of the people that heard him was Dickens, or read him, and uh, Dickens was really taken with the idea of improving society because Dickens grew up in a more impoverished area of Britain, uh, I'm thinking uh, north, northwest areas. Mm-hmm. And so he saw all this poverty up close and personal. And at the time, there was no charity, really. There was no charitable organizations. It's like in the Christmas Carol. If you're poor, you go to the workhouse mm-hmm. you know, where you work till you die. Yeah. And uh, he wanted to help change that. And he saw what Washington Irving was doing. He agreed with the concept. And so he started writing some Christmas tales which eventually culminated in A Christmas Carol, which, uh, what is the actual title of that? Uh, Christmas Ghost Story. 
And uh, that's basically it. It's probably the most popular ghost story of all time, though people really don't consider it as such because, uh, you know, it's got all these other connotations with it. But at the heart of it, it's, it's really just a, a good ghost story. And it's, it's interesting, too, that, like you said, you know, he's, he's grown up in an area where he sees how uh, impoverished, I mean, he was impoverished, so he, he gets it firsthand and he writes a story about if you're not a good person, that's going to come back and that's going to bite you. Yeah, yeah. And, I mean, you know, the concept had been around a long time, but people seem to have forgotten. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and you know, some of the writers wanted to, to kind of bring that back. And uh, uh, and A Christmas Carol, he put it, I think, on December 17th, uh, somewhere in the mid-19th century. Mm-hmm. And it was sold out by Christmas Day. And it wasn't a cheap book at the time. It was not like it was a paperback. I mean, they actually did this thing upright, and it was one of the complaints about it was it was so expensive that it wasn't available to the masses, which, you know, they later rectified. But, mm-hmm. you know, in the beginning, it went straight to the people with the most money who could do the most amount of good. Sure. And it worked. Mm-hmm. That was the important thing. Charitable giving went up a tremendous amount that year. And you know, to this day, you still have you know, most of most charitable giving is done around the Christmas season. And that's really all tied to uh, Dickens and before him, Washington Irving. Let's take another break. We're going to continue our conversation with author Todd Atterbury about Christmas ghost stories and traditions. You're listening to Ghost Box Radio on AM 950. What are you doing to bring in the New Year? Why not come out to Northeast Minneapolis and go to Let's Dance, New Year's Eve dance party that runs December 31st from 8 p.m. to 2 a.m. at the beautiful PNA Hall with DJ Midnight Music Club presented by Rogue Buddha Gallery and the Northeast Social for a limited time only buy one general admission ticket and get the second free. For more information to get your tickets, visit roguebuddha.com forward slash NYE. Dance to your heart's content on the spacious dance floor within the historic PNA Hall located in the heart of the Northeast Arts District. DJ Midnight Music Club will be spinning the very best in 80s new wave, synth wave, and pop dance hits from 8 p.m. to 2 a.m. Get your tickets today, roguebuddha.com forward slash NYE. Now, if you haven't heard enough of my voice during this festive season, I'm going to be on the Matt McNeil Show tomorrow, December 26th, We recorded us having a conversation about A Christmas Carol and also Krampus. It was a lot of fun having that conversation with Matt. Plus, it was also good to hear that Matt was in such good spirits. Now, this conversation is different from what you're listening to today. We we talk about very different side to A Christmas Carol, but we're also talking a lot about Krampus as well. Once again, this is going to be on December 26th on the Matt McNeil Show during the 3 p.m. hour. Please come out and check it out. And if you miss Ghost Box Radio with Greg Bakken Live, AM 950 replays these episodes Saturday nights at 8 p.m. Central Standard Time, or you can listen anytime by going to Spotify or iTunes. After listening, please leave a positive review for my show. I would consider that a Christmas gift to me, so please consider doing that. Our guest today is Todd Atterbury, who is a writer and a photographer. And if you go to his site, gothichorrorstories.com, you're going to see so much more. Today we're talking Christmas ghost stories and haunted traditions. And this is at a time when Christmas really was on the wane. People weren't celebrating it, but it brought back all these old Christmas traditions to people. And uh, 
Yeah, a lot of it's myth. Is the you know a lot of people have problems with that because a lot of the things we associate with those Christmas traditions probably never existed the way we believe them. But at this point, what the hell? I mean, we all all enjoy Christmas in our own way, and that's the great thing about it. No matter what, you you can enjoy find a way to enjoy Christmas. Well, and I think that's that's a very interesting point too. That how a Christmas Carol really did bring back Christmas in a sense, you know, because it, like you said, and I, I remember reading about this too, and maybe it was on your site, it could very well have been, how it was it was waning and that you needed, that that after mm. that, it became, you know, it became something that, that, especially in the UK, that was celebrated again. I also think it's interesting, the idea that there was a time when the name Scrooge wasn't associated with Christmas or just wasn't part of of our vocabulary i mean it just seems unheard of yeah i mean it, it was just like a probably a somewhat standard name i haven't actually looked into that because you kind of concerned me there for a minute i thought oh i don't know anything about this but yeah i haven't looked into that but i i have ran across the name in a couple other places prior to that but i sure haven't since then i mean yeah it's an interest i don't think anyone would not even many Ebenezer's. Right, right, exactly. Now I have an interesting. Which is a fun name. Oh, I mean, yeah. come on, who wouldn't want to be named Ebenezer? But what if and go through grade school being called? Eb- well, what if at the time, up until that story, that Ebenezer was like a name that was like people like to to a lot of people it meant good and happy, and all of a sudden a Christmas Carol comes out, and Ebenezer is just this grouchy curmudgeon, and that everyone now is says, "Oh, you're an Ebenezer," you know, you're Scrooge, and and. Up until mm-hmm. that point, it was like mm-hmm. maybe really good. Who knows? I have a quick question for you. Oh, yeah. I got a question for you in the chat room, um, which I thought was very interesting. And maybe you don't know this. It's a very interesting thing. It's like uh, McDan370LE had written, is that where the saying scares the dickens out of you came from? Absolutely, yeah. Wow. Because, you know, in the beginning, A Christmas Carol was a ghost story, and it was perceived as a ghost story because ghost stories – you know, now we, we, we get our supernatural through films, but at the time it was all through reading. And, uh, yeah, I mean, ghost stories were incredibly popular in, in Dickens' time, and especially more so later. It was one of the things that started a resurgence in ghost stories. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, that's where that came from. It's, um, well, uh, and it's not to scare the Dickens out of you. I mean, there, there's many ways that I've seen Dickens used like that, but yeah. Okay. It's, it's interesting. Um, I mean, would Charles Dickens be considered like a, I mean, maybe horror story is too strong of a word, but you know, like, you know, they, people would expect that kind of story out of him or is that just a genre that of, of many that he had written? Cause I mean, he's, he has such a breadth of work that, I mean, is that something that people would yeah. expect from him? No, because most of them, aside from A Christmas Carol that he did, didn't really catch on. There's a cricket on the hearth and I think like a Christmas story. He he tried to capitalize on it because, I mean, he sold, he sold the crap out of that book. So, yeah, he wrote several more like that. But none of them really took off like that one did. And none of them really had the critical acclaim either. So I don't know if he wasn't putting his heart into it or he just really wasn't that good at ghost stories because, you know, he's more known for Tale of Two Cities, Great Expectations and all that heavier stuff, which is good stuff, too. And most, okay, most, most ghost appearances, most of the time when people see ghosts is either prior to going to sleep or waking up. So, you know, if you're looking for ghosts, that's the ideal time to be doing it. Mm-hmm. Maybe not if you're a paranormal researcher, but, you know, if you're just looking for spooks, you know, then that's the time to do it. I got a 
request. I got an email from our Facebook page, actually, from Richard, and his request or his question to you <laughs> is uh, wondering if you could discuss or speculate what significance the winter solace has for our modern age. Uh, winter solace or winter solstice? Sorry, solstice. I'm just learning to read. Right, I read at a first grade level. For so. a, this is not our king D-I-N-U-E-D-U, is it? Oh, uh, this sounds like something. It would sounds happen. like it very well could Wait, be. Yeah. Okay, okay, there we go. I figured he would be out there. That's scary now. Uh, well, you know, all those things. It's like a clock. It, it tells you what time it is in the year. Mm-hmm. Uh, all, all your your holiday. This is, of course, well, the solstice starts at sunrise the night before and ends at sunset so we're a little past it right now but yeah the sunset was earlier or the solstice was earlier today the winter solstice and uh that tells you the time of the year essentially Mm -hmm. uh especially in agrarian communities but at the same time my own personal theory has been especially i mean you consider stonehenge of course is 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 one of the big ones that in karnak in egypt and maybe karnak has better weather but if you go to stonehenge on the solstice in the winter, you're just as likely to see a cloudy sky as to see the sunrise above the hillstone. Mm-hmm. So I've always thought all that stuff, it needs to be taken, you know, with a few days of uh, a space in there. But at the same time, yeah, I mean, that was an important time. They had the fire festivals. There was always some kind of a celebration between December 21st and December 25th. I mean, from as far back as you look, uh, whether it's the Roman Saturnalia, which probably could have been a lot of fun, or uh, you know the the more secular or religious uh, holiday of Christmas. I mean, mm-hmm. it, it all falls right within there. And actually, it starts I think at December eighth with Saint Nicholas Day, which is of course where Santa Claus came from, and goes up till January fifth when uh the three wise men arrived to bless the baby Jesus or the wise men, which of course, mm-hmm. you know, there was no three of them. That was from the song as well. So yeah, so I mean, it's a great time for a holiday. So, uh, switching back and forth here a little bit to what we were talking about before, you know, I do you th- is is the whole idea of Christmas ghost stories in the U.S. pretty much a dead concept? Like modern no, day? No, no. I mean, well, it depends on what you define modern day. I define modern day as any time from like when I reached puberty till now, which is a half a half a century, mm-hmm. uh, pretty mm-hmm. much, and. Uh, I mean, because you got The Shining, which would be a perfect example of a winter tale. Yeah, I mean, it's horrifying. There's ghosts. There's bloody murder. There's axes. All kinds of terrible things. And that was from the '70s. And John Carpenter's the was it the thing where they're in the Arctic, mm-hmm. either the Arctic or Antarctic. I can't remember off the top of my head. Yeah. And they were besieged by some kind of strange creature. That's a winter tale as well. And of course, there's now it's more gruesome and slasher. There's a uh, anywhere from St. Nicholas as a murderer to you know, Dead of Winter was another another popular uh, winter horror story. Those are still winter tales. It's just nowadays we watch them on video rather than listen, read them in books. Do you, you know, it, which is kind of sad because it's always scarier when you read it in a book. It's it's true, and you know, I guess maybe I just do you think a lot of people realize that those are like the same kind of genre? Or, I mean, they may not even care to be honest. I mean, like the idea of like a film. Oh no. Yeah, yeah, they don't care. And and to be honest, back in the the heyday of all this stuff, they didn't care then. They were just great stories. Mm-hmm. 
you know, you read a story and it scares the crap out of you. If that's what you're looking for, you're happy. You don't think, wow, I'm part of a tradition or anything like that. Um, that's more of a modern concept where we put labels on things where they don't necessarily belong. Sure. Yeah. And because, yeah, because, yeah. well, because why? Well, because we have to label things. I mean, that was, that was always Bob Dylan's thing. You know, you don't attach a label to me. And, but that's what we do. We attach a label so we understand it. And especially with a ghost story or something that causes us fear, we want to understand. We don't, we don't want those unanswered questions when we go to bed and we close our eyes and turn off the lights. Mm-hmm. We want to know it had a nice, happy, tidy ending. Yeah. And uh, that's the great thing about the old ghost stories, the old gothic horror stories, was they didn't always have nice, tidy, happy endings. I mean, a lot of times they were pretty terrifying. The heroine did not always survive like she does in Halloween. Jamie Lee Curtis eventually dies in the old gothic stories. Right. So What, what makes... what? categorizes something as like a gothic horror story uh, there are technical rules which of course I've forgotten at the moment but basically it has to do with uh, there's an air of mel- melancholy about mm-hmm. it uh, little, for instance now when we take a story like Frankenstein which was uh, you know, really arguably one of the very first full length horror stories yep. We read that, we we read that now, or we watch a video or a movie of it, and we think the the horror is the monster. But at the time it was written, the horror was in the mind of the creator, mm-hmm. who believed he could usurp the uh, will of God and create humans, you know, create life on his own. Mm-hmm. And that's where the horror was then. And that's not something that's as easily uh, shaken from the mind as you know the boogeyman standing there, because it doesn't matter if it's Frankenstein's monster or Freddy Krueger you can eventually shake those out of your head because they're not real. Mm -hmm. We're going to take our last break. When we come back, we're going to finish our conversation with author Todd Atterbury about Christmas ghost stories and traditions. You're listening to Ghost Box Radio on AM 950. And next week on Ghost Box Radio with Greg Bakken, it's New Year's Day, the start of 2023. What better way to start than talk about positivity? I'm going to have on Ghost Box Radio favorite Char Savoy as we talk about manifesting the year that you want. You're not going to want to miss this. Start off your year with a positive note. I know I'm going to be paying very close attention to what Char has to say. And you know what? Why not start in a positive note, right? We have we have a lot to work on, don't we? Well, at least I do, and I'm definitely going to pay attention to what she has to say. Now for our final segment, we return to our guest today, Todd Atterbury, who is a writer and photographer. And if you go to his site, gothichorrorstories.com, you're going to see so much more. Today we're talking Christmas ghost stories and haunted traditions. It, it in, in a sense of that, it almost feels like the idea of almost like humanity or humans trying to reach like a a pedestal that they don't belong in, such as uh, Frankenstein playing God, so to speak. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, and even find elements of that in Dracula, too. I mean, uh, you know, it's a question of you're dealing with forces which you really don't have any business dealing with. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, we're supposed to, you know, that's what makes us human. We show some restraint which is a British quality more than American quality. But at the same time, it, you know, that's, that's what separates mm-hmm, us. Mm-hmm. 
And the farther the separation gets, the the more uh, madness creeps in. And, you know, the Christmas ghost stories, one thing to remember about them is they weren't always about Christmas. In fact, most of the time they weren't. They were just ghost stories and horror stories at that. Mm -hmm. Uh, They weren't really happy ghost stories like a lot of them at the time or even mediocre. I mean, they were were really some brutal stuff because uh, uh, there's something about this time of year that really rips into a person's consciousness and and uh opens it up i guess but uh yeah so that was a good stuff. well and it feels like that like the stuff from mr james is not really around christmas you know that kind of seems to support no, that no. what you're saying yeah i mean the reason it's associated with christmas is he would write him at christmas and uh what he would do is he would write up until the point where he came out of the room and where there'd be a bunch of friends gathered around the fireplace, blow out all the candles, but one, and then read the story where the ink was still wet on the paper. And uh, now they had nothing to do with Christmas, but that, I mean, those will scare the crap out of you if you read them in the right atmosphere. And, it's kind of like the old hammer horror films oh, as yeah. opposed to, uh, uh, the slasher films, you know, hammer was all about mood and atmosphere. And that's kind of the way uh, when you read a gothic horror story, it's about mood and atmosphere. I would say that would be what makes it gothic. There's there's a certain mood, and you know what it is when you feel it. You know what it is when you see it. But uh, at the same time, you know, we, yeah, it's Hammer versus uh, John Carpenter, you know, for instance, who, who did the same, right. which is of course a winter tale but but hammer hammer could scare the crap out of well me. and it feels to me too like of course i grew up right well, and i did too and like in your notes that we had kind of went back and forth earlier and you had written in addition to being about mr james in addition to being a medieval scholar and provost at king's college in cambridge when you're putting down king's college in cambridge to me that also lends to that whole you know gothic to me gothic horror is also like uh you know an establishment that's been around for a great period of time also you know oh yeah yeah i mean it's, it's dusty and, and and they've got ants in the corner and there's cracks in the walls i mean you know even a good probably even a good office in the cambridge is, has got some kind of story behind it and uh, yeah i mean there, there are a lot of ghost stories about those places even i mean so yeah it's just the words uh bring up some kind of feeling or memory for people i think and harvard does that absolutely as well. yeah absolutely it does and uh, M.R. James' uh, first collection of of these type of stories was ghost stories of an antiquary. antiquary. Um, and uh, antiquary. 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 What uh, is and what is that? An antiquary is someone who is interested in uh, basically things from the past. Right. And uh, you know, James was a medieval scholar. And uh, oh, the website you missed, man witcheryart.com witchery with a y that's that's the photo site mm-hmm. but uh my partner in that ms davis has a lot of photos from for instance dirty st edmunds yep. which uh, had an abbey there and is now in the ruins mm-hmm. and the founders and some of the uh main people who worked it are like associated with the abbey M.R. James actually discovered the uh, information that went with it. It was from some old parchment somewhere that he dug up. So he did a lot of work. It, you know, he was more well known for that kind of stuff than it was for his ghost mm-hmm. stories. It's only now that we remember the ghost stories because we forget the history. Because history is pretty dull when it comes right down to it. <laughs> <laughs> 
it, it takes a particularly nerdy individual to get too far into history. But, uh, yeah, and, uh, I mean, I, I look at her photos of the place, and that, that brings up the mood that, that you're talking about, you know, the hammer horror versus the uh, the uh, bright street lights of a movie like Halloween, yeah, where everything's well lit and you, you see the stuff coming at you, whereas in the hammer film, you know, there's mood, there's mist and stuff like that, which you find in Britain, you know, when I was hanging out over there for a while, uh, it's a totally dim- different atmosphere than you find in the States. Absolutely. Because I've been to like Salem. I've been to Sleepy Hollow. A lot of the scarier places that people associate. But it's, you know, nowadays they're almost all commercial. They're almost all uh, cosmopolitan to a certain extent. Whereas in Britain, you can still get in a place that makes you look over your shoulder. Yeah, there's a lot of them still around, isn't there? I mean, obviously there are some that's been commercialized mm-hmm. to some extent, uh, but a lot of them, I mean, a lot of them are just streets, you know, just going down streets and bath, you know, or somewhere around there. And it's just like, this is this is historical. Oh, yeah. This goes back, you know, centuries and centuries. So, yeah, it's, it's, it's an amazing, an amazing uh, thing. So I was going to ask you, what is what do you have as a favorite uh, gothic story? What is what is something that's one of your particular favorites? Mm-mm. Well, that's tough. That's one of those things I probably would have looked up if I would have thought about it. Uh, I would go with Frankenstein. Yeah. I mean, that was that was really the start of the whole thing. I mean, it was uh, Lord Byron, Percy Shelley, Mary Wollenscraft, who later became Mary Shelley, uh, Mary's sister-in-law who was pregnant with Byron's child, Dr. Polidori, the uh, doctor of Byron. Who, and they all sat around and told ghost stories one night. And uh, from that came, well, no, the idea was for them all to write a ghost story. And the only two that came through was Mary Shelley, who wrote Frankenstein, and Polidori, who took an idea of Byron's and wrote a book, which really was the precursor of uh, Dracula. Mm-hmm. So in essence, that night, Dracula and Frankenstein were both conceived and when you come down to it, Percy Shelley and Lord Byron were rock stars. I mean, if if you look at it, you know they believe in free love. They're they're sipping laudanum. I mean, it, it's a rock star lifestyle, and exiled in the, in uh, Italy, and so. But that's where it all stems from. After that, everything just kind of gets a little more staid and conservative. But at that point, everything was still wild because it was the. Uh, the moment of invention and the moment of invention is always wilder than it comes afterwards. Todd Atterbury is a writer, a photographer, and if you go to his site, you're going to see that he is so much more. Check out his work over at gothichorrorstories.com. Todd, thank you so much today. Well, that does it for 2022. Thank you all so very much for the support and love you've shown me over this past year. This has been Ghost Box Radio with Greg Bakken on AM 950. Thank you all for joining me and Merry Christmas. <laughs>